Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben from the Lean Blog, and this is a very belated episode number 34 of the Lean Blog Podcast. It's January 23rd, 2008. Our guest today will be Chris Harris. He's a t- former Toyota employee and the author of a book, Developing a Lean Workforce, a guide for human resources, plant managers, and lean coordinators. But before we get to Chris, I just wanted to apologize for the long gap. It's been about two months since the last episode, and a number of you have emailed and asked where I went. If you're not aware through the blog or other ways, I've written a book for Productivity Press called Lean Hospitals. And while I was writing that, the the podcast unfortunately took a bit of a back burner, but I'm going to be back into podcasting mode now. Uh, I have episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks with David Meyer and Norman Bodek. I'm recording a new episode on January 27th with Jeffrey Liker about his new book, Lean, uh, I'm sorry, Toyota Culture. Um, so if you have questions, you can contact me if you go to leanpodcast.org. There's information there about how to email me or even how to leave an audio question using the Skype service. So uh, welcome back to the Lean Blog Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Well, joining us here today on the Lean Blog Podcast is Chris Harris, joining us from South Carolina. It's great talking to you, Chris. Good to be with you. So your book, uh, Developing a Lean Workforce, uh, has been out for a little while now. Um, I want to talk about that today, and I, I thought we could start if you could tell us about your background, how you first got introduced to Lean, and, and how you've progressed through your career with, with your Lean journey. Yeah, well, I started on the assembly line and at the Toyota plant in Georgetown, Kentucky, and um, started on the assembly line. Uh, I had a job. I, I, if I remember correctly, they, it was a, I had 55 seconds to do a job. It took me about 55 seconds, mm-hmm. so it was, a, it was a real interesting experience. I learned a lot about standardized work there. I kind of started my lean journey in right in the middle of uh, as a production associate. And then um, after that, I uh, I graduated from college and went to be a frontline supervisor in a Tier 1 uh, supplier to um, uh, a big company. Mm-hmm. And um, that, was a, that, was an, that was an experience. That was a, a union shop where I had to relearn everything. I went from mm-hmm. a very lean... Uh, you know, I guess probably the leanest that you could be in was mm-hmm. because lean derives from the Toyota production system to a area that was not. And uh, it was interesting. I, I learned a lot, learned how to deal with people, how to learn to deal with the union, and learned what, a lot of what not to do right. in, in, a, uh, in a manufacturing environment. And then uh, the, the interesting thing, which, which really kind of started me on the, on the journey to writing, developing a lean workforce, was why I was at that job, was the, the training that I got. Uh, guy walked me out. This is probably not exact, but this is awful mm-hmm. close to what what it was. He walked me out. Says, "You see this yellow line?" I said, "Yes, sir." <laughs> he walks me down 200 yards. He says, "You see this yellow line?" I said, "Yes, sir." He pats me on the back. He says, "Good luck, son." <laughs> so that was about the extent of the training that I yeah. got. Yeah. And 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 really one of the the oddest things about that, which goes back into developing lean workforce, was that. The only requirement for me to have that job was that I had a college degree. Yeah. And the interesting thing was I had no idea what they made, their mm-hmm. system to making it or anything like that. And all these people that had been working on the assembly line for years and years and years had much more knowledge than I did. 
So that that really started me to ask the question of, of why that was that was <clears throat> when and vice versa. I, I got a chance to go back to another company very closely related to Toyota. Toyota Susho mm-hmm. was the name of it, and, and started to learn about how Toyota promoted and. It was very much from within, the way I understood it, and, and that made a lot more sense to me. So um, I went back to Toyota 2 show where I dealt materials a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was where our first book came out of, uh, Making Materials Flow, which we published in, in 2003. Right. And then um, after that, I, I learned a lot about materials. So that was a really good experience. had a good time. I worked a lot. Uh, after that, I, I went and uh, spent some time in corporate purchasing. Uh, for another tier one supplier, another mm-hmm. mass manufacturing organization, where I really learned how the entire supply chain is affected and, and how to deal with some of that, and, and also, again, what not to do. Yeah, like, for example, how the supply chain, how the supplies are impacted by how lean you are at the, the final production level? Well, I think I think that. I think that the difference between having a supplier and a partner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, was is a big one. Uh, I hear people say sometimes that doesn't matter, and I disagree uh, because a partner will do certain things for you that a supplier will not. And when I say supplier, that means you go out and you find the lowest piece price cost, and you may only have one part with that supplier. A partner is somebody that's got many, many parts of mine that I work with, and they work with me because many companies kind of miss that that connection that they're as healthy as their supply base is. Right. And um, that's a that's a difficult connection to do. And then when we talk about materials, we talk about small pack sizes, frequent deliveries. We want our our partners to carry a finished goods inventory. Things like that uh, really make it easier when we're working close with a partner versus that supplier mentality of, of just getting lowest piece price cost. Right. And some of that comes into the idea of, of longer term relationships instead of just switching on a whim because someone else has a marginally cheaper unit price. Right. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Any time that, well, well, there may be one rare time it doesn't, but in the majority of times, whenever you change something about a part, you change the supplier, you change anything, it disrupts the flow of material. Mm-hmm. And whenever the flow of material is disrupted, it costs me money. <laughs> right. So I want to make sure that doesn't happen. So that's another thing when we deal with partners, we we can do work, work some of that out. But then after that, I, I when I started working with Harris Lean Systems uh, in in 2001. Okay. And we've been helping people implement lean lean principles, lean systems for since 2000. Well, Harris Lean Systems has been doing it before I got there, but yeah. I came in 2001. And um, through that time, we we started to learn. You know, there's lots of stuff out there about how you create a manufacturing cells, how you move material, how you um, how you draw a value stream map, how you draw an office process value stream map, how you do all these different things. They identify kind of the three flows and the seven ways and the five S's, but there was really nothing out there that prepared a workforce to go through this change. And I always operate under the assumption that if you're in a real rough environment, I would say, that means that 95% of your workforce wants to meet expectations. Mm-hmm. I'd say if you're in an average environment, it's more like 98% mm-hmm. want to meet expectations. But what we find ourselves is that we don't provide those expectations very well. So if we look at lean implementation, one of the things that we're going to need long-term is the people to improve the process. Right. Now, we've always kind of stuck to the to the thought that the implementation comes from the top to start. 
because somebody's got to say we've got to change to be competitive. Right. There's and then once they change and they start to put these things in place, once those systems are in place, we've got to rely on on two main areas in, in our opinion to really improve the process. One is the person on the floor putting the stuff together, adding value to the product, the yeah. production associate. Yeah. The second one is the production supervisor, which if you look at the production supervisor in today's environment, they spend most of their time scheduling and chasing parts. Right. They don't spend much time supervising. And one of the main tenets of a lean production system is how do we continually improve the process? Mm-hmm. And nobody knows more than the hourly production associate on how to improve that process. I, I don't think that you would get much argument on that because they put the thing together every day, every yeah. day. And we have to have a vessel to be able to take that information and make it happen. And that's the uh, that's the transformation we'd like to see the production associate, I mean the production supervisor, transform into. More of a supervisory role than a scheduling and part chasing role. Right. How do they get those improvement ideas and, and, and make them work for the company? Yeah. Now, the other thing that we do, we also also have to make sure that we prepare the people on the floor for this change. And that's where developing lean workforce really talks about, first of all, who's going to lead this? Mm-hmm. Is it the lean coordinator, which that's the head lean person on site, whoever okay. that is. So that, that's, uh, that's sort of a, a specialist, uh, a coach, or a, a trainer of sorts, right? They are the person in the plant that is in charge of the implementation. They're in charge of making sure the implementation is moving forward, making sure it's moving correctly, which would encompass everything that you said as well. Yeah. Um, now, the person that owns the transformation would be the plant manager. Okay, right. So you've got a person that owns the transformation plant manager and kind of the person that's the face of it, which is the lean coordinator. Yeah, because I, I, I was going to ask, you know, where, yeah, where that balance falls between, you know, a lot of times people, a leader wants somebody to make them lean, and it sounds like what you're saying, the plant manager can't just um, offload that to the coordinator. It's got to be a partnership of sorts. Well, I think the plant manager needs to realize that he's the one responsible whether it's going to go or not. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads him into choosing the lean coordinator that he can trust that's going to make this go forward. Mm-hmm. So I think, in essence, what you're saying is, is true. It's got to be a partnership, but the buck's got to stop somewhere and and. We always say that the same reason that a lean implementation succeeds is the same reason that a lean implementation fails, and that's leadership. Right. So we always say the top person on site is is, is the owner of the change, and a lean coordinator may be the face of the change because they're out on the floor, and they're making the changes, and they're doing the training, and they're the person that you see all the time. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the first step that we talked about. And then the second one was, okay, we've got to get these people information on what's coming, why it's coming, mm-hmm. because... That's a big thing that most people miss is why are we implementing lean? We're right. not just implementing this to make your life miserable. We're implementing because <laughs> we have to. Right. And that's something that really goes goes against what has happened in the past because in the past there's been these flavor of the month that come through and people get frustrated because they come in three months, they change sure. everything, they go away. So we really felt that when you start to go down this path, you need to get the people together and tell them what, what's coming, why it's coming, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Is it... Is it you, your profit margins are dropping, competitiveness overseas. What is it? Why are you doing this? Make the argument for why you have to do this. Right. Because remember, we operate under the assumption that 95% of the workforce wants to meet expectations. Mm-hmm. So we've got to give them to them. So we go through, in developing only workforce, we go through this and say, these are probably the top five modules that you need to teach, and this is when you need to teach them. 
and here's what they include. Okay. For example, you got to do some kind of stuff that we would think is simple, that, but is very relevant. For example, how long is the training going to be? Because if you have an eight-hour training course, that's very hard on production. And then if you've ever sat through an eight-hour training course, which I'm sure you have, mm-hmm. how much did you really get out of it? I mean, it's hard to comprehend that much material. Sure, So sure. one thing that we try to do is say, let's have one-hour blocks. Let's have a one-hour block of training. That way we can get them in. We can say, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Tell them what we did. This is what we did. Did you get it? Okay, good. Now, the next thing is, when do you do the training? Well, we always say, do the training about two days before you start the implementation of that training. That way they can go through the training, then they got a couple of days to ask questions, know what's coming, and then they can be involved in the implementation. Mm-hmm. The next thing is, well, what is the training? Well, it has to be very focused. Because, for example, a value stream map, well, maybe I don't want the people on the floor drawing the value stream maps. I mean, if everybody on the floor could draw a value stream map and wanted to, that'd be great. But in actuality, probably not going to happen. But I really want them to be able to read a value stream map and know what it is when they start going up Mm -hmm. so they don't have to ask questions, so they don't get bad information. One thing that we know is that in manufacturing facilities, as in any work facility, really, any office, you have a, a flow of information we usually call it like a grapevine mm-hmm. or, or, or something. People talk. What we want to do is control the information that gets out there and put good information out as quick as possible as it's needed. That way they've got the good information. So take, for example, a value stream map. The value stream map one-hour module would, set, would not focus on how you draw a value stream map. It would focus on what a value stream map says, mm-hmm. why we do it, and what's going to happen with it. So you can do that in an hour. You can give people a good understanding of what that is, and then they go back out prepared for what's coming. Yeah, so teach them what their role is going to be in implementing changes or to understand how and why different um, Kaizen opportunities were prioritized through the value stream map, things like that. Yeah, things like that, mm-hmm. kind of a broad overview. Um, like a, a workplace organization one-hour module. Well, you can cover the five S's enough to prepare them for what's coming, then they can actually help you in the implementation. Yeah. Which kind of leads us, the order that we like to do the, the modules is Lean 101 first. That's, let me make an argument for what Lean is. Mm-hmm. The second is workplace organization, because that tends to be the most, um, I guess, passive may not be the right word, but it's it's not as intrusive as some of the others. I'm not coming in there and trying to tell you to change the way you do things. I'm just kind of trying to come in there and help you organize the area. Yeah. So that's a good way to jump start people into the change. Mm-hmm. And then, then value stream mapping, uh, creating flow through manufacturing. What's one-piece flow? Why do we go from batch production to one-piece flow? What are those concepts? And then uh, the, the last one that we do is material flow. How does the material flow? Why do we want material to flow? That kind of thing. What is your role in the material flow system? And then and each one of those, try to give them enough information that they can help us improve the process once it's in. And then after so, we talk about that and developing a lean workforce, we go to the the job of the production supervisor. What is it now? What would we like it to be? Right, because that, that's and, a tough transition for people, isn't it? Oh, it's very, very difficult because we're going in and telling the production supervisor, who's really just been beaten up for years, mm-hmm. and we're telling them that we don't want you to chase parts, we don't want you to schedule anymore. Well, now they don't know what their job <laughs> is because that's what it's been for so long. Yeah. And and we've got to really be careful how we do this. So we talk about the day in the life of two supervisors, and this is something that that Rick was really in, in, instrumental in putting together because 
he was a super he was a he he has been in management in in Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big three, as well as Toyota, and, and, and this is Rick Harris, your co-author, and his, his relation to you is it, that's my father. That's your father, right? Yeah, okay. uh, I guess we're a Toyota family now. <laughs> we're converted. Uh, we were, used to be one of the other big three, but now we're, I guess, we're a Toyota family. Yeah, um, and uh, it talks about well, in the mass manufacturing, this is what happens during the first period of the day, and in a in a lean facility, this is what happens. And it goes through, I think, eight, eight different periods before startup, after startup, before break, after break, right before launch, after launch. And it says, this is what the supervisor do in this environment, this is what they do in this environment. And we try to, we, this takes a while because we want to transform those supervisors into what they are now, into an agent of, of really continuous improvement and mm-hmm. supervisor. Which which entails going out, auditing the process, talking to the people. What what do you need? How do you, how can we make this better? Okay, I can take care of that and get it done. That's what we want that job to be. Okay. Which kind of jumps us into the kind of the ending parts of that book is how do I set up a system so I can promote from within? Because as I, I kind of started off the conversation earlier, when I when I went to be a a supervisor at the tier one facility, you know I didn't get any training, but all yeah. I had to do is have a college degree. Well. This is totally opposite where we say, here's what we would really like for you to do. If you want to go from production associate to a team leader, you've got to go to these classes. You've got to, on whatever they are, Tuesday, Thursdays, for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And you've got to go to these on the off shift. So if you work days, you've got to go on second shift. And you don't get paid to go. So you're really making a sacrifice to go to these classes. So you go to these classes, you pass these classes, which which are on your own production system because at this point you're really not calling it a lean production system anymore. That's you're calling it whatever your company is, it's your own yeah. production system. So you have to go to these and once you pass all that then you can apply for a team leader position. That doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna get one. Yeah. But if you're you if you're apply. a candidate if you're a candidate even you go through that session. Do you have do you have to be invited to go to that or do you volunteer yourself that you want to be considered in the future for supervision? I that can vary with different facilities. My mm-hmm. personal opinion is that I I kind of like to let people apply. Yeah. Because if you've got enough initiative to apply and you go through the classes on your own time without sure. getting paid on the off shift, then then I'm going to say, well, uh, I'm willing to give you a shot. Right. Right. Um, now, before you can before you can do that, you have to have just a almost perfect attendance record. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got to be able to rely on you. Um, and you've got to be able to do every job within your team to tack time. Right. And those are a couple of things. And then the group leader process is about the same thing. You have to be a team leader in good standing. You have to go to classes on time. And the thing about these is that when you do get a job, you probably have to go to an off shift. So if if you were if you were to you were wanting to be a group leader and you applied for it and you got it and you were mm-hmm. working first shift, you may have to go to second shift. Right. So, so there's real sacrifice to move up, but it comes from within. Yeah. yeah. So there's always that people real knowledgeable about the system. Yeah. Now, do you, do you have cases where um, you've been able to help a company transition from the the old model to the new where you know they, they already have existing supervisors, I assume, is it, part of that transition – you know, teaching the uh, the experienced supervisors how to operate differently, and then as as openings develop, if people leave because they say, "Oh, I, you know, I can't handle this new system," or if they retire, would you then start 
hiring from within uh, and, and make that transition over time, or what, what do you see being effective? Well, I don't know that there's a real good answer to that. Mm-hmm. I, I know that we've been through lots of lean transformations, and in every lean transformation, somebody chooses not to go along and they go and leave. Yeah. Most times through retirement or something like that. Um, what I would say is a, a positive note is sometimes the first step people will take is putting in team leaders. Because there's a big difference in the organizational structure between what you might see at Toyota and what you might see at a Tier 1 mm-hmm. or, or mass manufacturing supplier. For example, when I was a supervisor in, in one of those facilities, uh, you might have a you might be a supervisor over 50 people. It uh, might be supervisor yeah. 50 people. And that's well, the frontline supervisor. They've got a real broad right, span. Right, right. Yeah. And you look at Toyota, and you you have a group leader, then you have team leaders, then you have team members on the team leaders. Yeah. So it's really a supportive structure. And so sometimes what people do, and I've worked with some of these people and, and kind of talked with them and learned from them, on what's effective is that they're putting the team leaders in to help support the supervisor, and it's, it's working that way. Right, because the, the supervisor at a traditional company might be more like a group leader, a Toyota group leader in terms of scope, right? Right, but yeah. without the team leaders. Right, okay. Because yeah. the, the ratio, what's the usual ratio of a, a team leader to team member at, at a Toyota plant? It's I would have to. I would have to sit. It's been a long time since since I worked on the assembly line, mm-hmm. but it seems like it. It was somewhere around. I I I would feel bad making well, a guess. It, it's certainly but it's a it, lot less. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking less, yeah. five, six to a team leader. Maybe right. I, I'm not. I'm not sure though. Don't hold me to that. Yeah, but, but it was a lot less, and then you might have a group leader have five or six team leaders under them. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's what I've heard from others. I I haven't worked directly in a Toyota environment, but that. That sounds about right. From and I'm sure it depends. I'm sure it probably varies per line, yeah. based on the difficulty of the line. Yeah. So in a, I'm not sure about yeah. that. And, and that seems like classic Toyota approach. Instead of having a rote just set number, you pick the ratio that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then finally, the last thing that we end uh, on uh, developing lean workforce is how you uh, get a new hire in, prepare them to be out to the floor within two weeks. Mm, mm-hmm. So you might come in the first day, just normal stuff, your pay, your benefits. Um, the next day, um, you come in, we teach you Lean 101, then you go to the floor for a couple hours. Then you come back. Then we teach another workshop, mm-hmm. then you go to the floor for a couple hours. And that goes on for about for less than, less than two weeks. But by the time you're released to the floor, you can do two jobs up to the tack time or whatever time it has, you have to do them. That way you can rotate with the team. You can be a team member mm-hmm. versus in the past hire them, throw them to the floor and saying good luck. So that's that's kind of the, the approach we take with developing a lean workforce. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's uh, a really nice book. Um, I, I enjoyed reading through it. It's um, you know it's a good book to read. It, it, it certainly seems like a good handbook to come back and uh, and refer to. And you know, boy, you know, hearing your story, it sounds like you you've got a real unique perspective that, you know, you started on the line, you've been a supervisor, you've worked in Toyota and, and non-Toyota environments, and I, I think that um, that that comes through in, in the book, that, um, you know, that, that background leads to some exp- um, interesting insights on things. So I certainly recommend the book. If, if people listening want to order the book, I'll have um, a link um, where you can order that through Productivity Press on uh on the uh, the webpage for for this episode of the podcast, 
Um, again, the, the title of the book is Developing a Lean Workforce. Um, and, and Chris, if people want to get in touch with you and Harris Lean Systems, what's the best way for people to do that? Um, probably by uh, electronically. Uh, you can either go to our website, which is um, www.harrisleansystems.com. Mm-hmm. Um, the email address is hls.inc at harrisleansystems.com. Uh, that's probably the best way to get in touch with us because we're on the road an awful lot. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to thank you for what you do, uh, for 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 getting the message out. I appreciate. It. I think uh, I think we're doing a better job as a as a lean community getting the information out. It seems like a lot of people are are wanting it more and more and more. So I appreciate what you do, and uh, thanks for allowing me the opportunity to talk about the book and. Wish you the best. Okay. Well, thanks, and I, I appreciate your comments, and certainly. Appreciate you taking time out of a busy day to join us here on the podcast. Hopefully we can talk again soon. All right. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.